Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Hoffpower coming to you from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today, we will be continuing our entrepreneurial dentist podcast um, and talking to Dr. Catherine Alderman. Now, Catherine Alderman came to this country whenever she was 18. She immigrated from communist Russia. Since then, she has built a career successfully owning seven dental practices. And why? She tells us the secret of success right after this commercial. Do you feel like you are wasting your time and money marketing your dental practice? The fact is most marketing companies are not focused on your best interests. They focus on their profit. At Art of Dental Marketing, our engagements are month to month, allowing you a low risk and foundational level to build trust as we build real solutions. Right now, TBOD members can enjoy exclusive discounted pricing on our ultra fast websites and local SEO services. Visit us online at at artofdentalmarketing.com or call us at 913-214-8502. Catherine, talk to me a little bit about your journey um, and what made you decide to move here from Russia at the age of 18. Um, did you come with your family? Did you come by yourself? Um, what, what caused this change? I, I know you, you told me a little bit before we went on the air, but I'd like to share what your words were with our audience here. Well, I actually didn't tell you the full story. The full story is pretty amazing. And the full story is actually the reason why I'm so supportive and why I'm successful as well. And uh, why there is not a amount of stress or a challenge in dentistry can take my success away. And uh, hopefully my story and what came out of your story can inspire other dentists and help them to deal with any challenges that they overcome. So when I was 18, I came here without speaking English, without uh, having a family, friends, and I ended up uh, in a homeless shelter. So when I was in a homeless shelter, I was 18 years old and, uh, and a young mom at the time as well. And again, I didn't have a family. I didn't have friends. I didn't have money. I didn't even speak English. So while I was sitting in a homeless shelter and not sitting, but crying all night, holding my um, little child that was nine months old at that point, I told myself that it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I am going to become successful in this country. I am going to absolutely rock it. And after I cried and cried and cried, I did find a way to leave a homeless shelter. I did find um, help to help me to get into educational system, to start learning English and um, the rest of the story. But the reason I'm telling this story and the reason why I will always tell this story is because um, while I have been entrepreneur and building offices, I have had my share of challenges with a staff turnover, um, DSOs coming to the market, pandemic hitting, higher prices of running a business. There is always a challenge. There has been a challenge from the day I opened my first practice to last week. The challenge never stops. It's just a different challenge, different circumstances, but I always go back to the night of crying in a homeless shelter while holding my baby and committing to success and committing to full success. 
So years fast forward, I probably will never be in a homeless shelter again. I'm absolutely independent. I'm uh, well off and I have achieved what we consider success. But I always go back to that night and to that moment. And I am so grateful to the people that supported me where I needed it the most. And uh, I'm because of that, I'm also very supportive to anybody that needs help, whether it's my doctors or a patient or maybe dentist in a community, or maybe it's um, team members that are struggling and uh, overwhelmed with your job. I'm just a very supportive um, because of the experiences I encountered myself. You know, it, it's funny because um, you left out to me what was one of the most powerful statements that you could have made. And that's something you told to me off air. Um, when you decided to immigrate to the United States, you left knowing that you were leaving what could be a promising career as a lawyer. You were in law school in Russia, but you realized that you would have to be part of the problem if you stayed, because otherwise you wouldn't find success unless, of course, you were, you know, playing the same corrupt games that everyone else was playing. I laud that type of moral decision. You, you put yourself and your child in a homeless shelter because you refused to build on the corruption around you. And I, I have to applaud that. Thank you. And people will say you were only 18. I knew that Russia was not a country for me to live at when I was 15. So I was very, what we call the earlier starter. Obviously, I was an earlier starter because I had a baby at 18 and moved to America at 18. So I really was living, um, I, I wasn't what we consider maybe an average teenager at that point. And I was only one of the few people that got into law school at such an early age. But when I did get into law school, I was actually hoping for the change. I was hoping to be the light. I was hoping to help people. And I knew that I would actually be able to support guilty people, not guilty people. I knew in my heart I could take a criminal and I would probably find a way to support them in a way. So I knew that law was a really good job for me. But when I got into law school and started um, uh, seeing how you know, going through the practice of law and doing practicals and taking classes, I quickly knew that you had to be, you had to accept to be part of a problem if you wanted to make money. And I did want to make money. I always wanted to make money. I, 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 I wanted to be financially stable, financially independent. So I knew that law, practicing law in Russia was not my was not my desire saying it saying it now what's happening in russia just proves it that how right i was and uh, absolutely even back then i knew how the country was not for me that it was full of lies full of corruption and while i loved a lot of things about russia i early on knew that i couldn't be part of a problem because i wanted to be I wanted to be supportive. I wanted to be kind. I wanted to do things that were right and uh, Russia couldn't give it to me. When I came to America, people will say bad things about America all the time. And I'm the biggest patriot in America. I am the biggest patriot of United States. I think United States is by far the best country in the world. And there is nothing that can change 
or some nothing that can change that can change my opinion about it because I think USA is uh, one of the most amazing countries in the world. So I'm really glad to be here and I'm glad to have businesses here. And what other country can somebody come to and go from being in a homeless shelter, young female without any financial support from her parents to becoming a practice owner of multiple locations and um, having the best education in the world. There is no other country that can do that and offer it and support young females to go for their dreams like that. So I'm super grateful, super excited, and just, I, I love every day living in America. I, I just love it so much. <laughs> Well, I love your enthusiasm and, and you're, you're right. It's unfortunately, it's a message that, I mean, we, in, in our current divisive society, um, there, there's so much vitriol out there. Um, we forget what it is we have to lose by electing the wrong leaders. And um, I think that um, definitely the, the d- dispute between the Ukraine and so uh, Russia right now, I always want to say Soviet Union because it was a Soviet Union when I was a kid. Um, but the, the dispute that we have going on there now is an absolute affront to freedom. And um, it is proof of what happens when a dictator comes to power. Even when you get someone like Gorbachev coming in um, who wanted, uh, oh, goodness, I'm trying to remember the word he used. I remember it was called. It was he was awful. He so was, tell me, tell me why, because America painted was, him as an amazing leader. So no, he was not, and I was right there. That was when I made a decision to leave when Gorbachev was in power, because Gorbachev was, and I was really, I was, I think, I was, I was think about fifteen or sixteen, and um, and 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 I was really into history. I was really into politics even at that time. Um, you know, so I was a little bit of a grown-up kid, and if you could say that. But Gorbachev was saying one thing, but I saw completely different actions towards uh, um, towards the people. I also that was at the time where I was standing in long lines just to get bread and eggs and right. milk, and I was hungry all the time. I was hungry all the time. So he was saying one thing, and everybody was saying how wonderful he is while I'm standing in the line and I'm hungry all the time. And I I also love to eat. I eat like a man. I eat more than a man. I eat more than my husband, more than my kids put together. So that metabolism was even stronger at that time. And I was always hungry. And here I am standing in long lines just to get a dozen of eggs. And I would have to stand there for two, three hours to get eggs and bread uh, while Gorbachev was making his changes. And as a as a young teenager that was already kind of rebellion against that regime and rebellion against uh, what was happening in Russia, uh, it just made no sense to me. It made no sense to me. I had no clothes. I had no money. My family had no money. And we had no food. And I was hungry all the time. So to me, it was just, um, I thought that he was, um, um, he was, a uh, um, uh, over-promising and under-delivering. And, and again, I didn't know back then, but now I know that it's just a system that will never change. It's so corrupt. Absolutely. And that it will never change. But saying that, saying that all experiences are valuable, saying that it's made me a better leader. And a lot of time in dentistry, which, you know, in dentistry, we talk a lot about leadership and we talk about um, leading people, but a lot of dentists, um, a lot of dentists still in that mindset that they have to be d- dictators. 
They got absolutely. They have to tell people, uh, they have to have checklists for mornings and afternoons, and they have to tell people what to do, and they have to they have to really guide people on exact steps and what needs to be done, where I say that actually doesn't work. It does not work. It's so out of date. It's kind of a it's kind of the way Putin does it. <laughs> You know, we really, we really have to, when we want to lead a team and when we really want to have a engagement and especially what's happening now, everything that we know about leadership, all the habits that we have developed in the last 20 years need to change because, because of the pandemic, because of the um, people changing the way they perceive jobs and maybe not wanting to work or wanting to work for specific places, the leadership has to be absolutely free of dictatorship and the leadership has to be um, engaging and positive. And, and what you said earlier today in another podcast, you said that unless there is a problem, they need to be empowered, completely empowered and trusted to lead in the area of expertise. I and agree so heartily. You said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. So sometimes, and, and I'm guilty of dictatorship. I'm guilty of that because I grew up in dictatorship. And while I was young and trying to grow all of these locations, I was tired. There were days when I was exhausted and tired. And going to dictatorship felt the right way because it's um, if I micromanage, I will get the results that I want. Well, it took me a minute to learn it didn't work. Anytime I apply dictatorship, maybe it would work for a minute, but I would not get the long-term engagement. I would not get the long-term trust from my people. And ultimately, I would have a high turnover rates. So <laughs> what I learned is to do exactly what you said earlier today, completely trust them. And unless there is a KPI that shows that one of my systems is not working, or you know, maybe there is a, um, habits that are not followed in practice. I need to come in again from a supportive point of view. Hey, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can we make this better? Let me know, how can I help you? And so dictatorship becomes communication and collaboration. And that's how you actually grow one location or two or seven or hundred without losing yourself to that. And without making people feel that um, we micromanage them or don't trust them, that's truly the secret. So that leadership and what I learned not to do from Russian presidents is really what making me the best leader now and growing my locations. And I haven't mentioned, but I will be growing more locations. I will be growing more locations. And at some point I may have, gosh, sky is the limit number of locations, but doesn't matter how many locations I will grow or how many people I will be managing. I have learned from Russian presidents that um, dictatorship and uh, uh, micromanaging and telling people what to do does not go far. You have to collaborate, trust, empower, and that's how you get engaged, strong teams. Absolutely. You know, earlier you said something about growing practices and not losing yourself to them. Um, there are two concepts that I wanted to get into the interview this morning, but there wasn't really an, an absolutely great place to put it, but this is a great place. One is... Uh, the concept of lines of authority, and the other is the concept of developed traffic. So whenever I, my, I was coaching my team, 
what I would tell them was, if it doesn't need to be on my line, and what that means is, if I'm not the only person who can do it, then you should use everyone in the chain of command, everyone in our, in our org chart. Um, I don't know if a lot of practices use organizational charts. I did because I thought that that graphical representation was just an ideal way of communicating the correct path to bring something. Uh, and if someone was about to put something on my lines, I would look at them and say, is that something only I can do? Does it need to be on my lines? Go look at your org chart. And they would go look at the org chart and they'd say, sorry, doc, I forgot I was supposed to bring this to whoever. And they would go and they, it, it would be handled. It's only after it went all the way through those lines that I would deal with it if, if no one else in the practice could. And that brings us to the concept of developed traffic. When you insert yourself into your chain of command in a place where you don't need to be, at a time you don't need to be there, you create something called developed traffic, which is you make everyone else in that area less efficient because they begin second guessing themselves. The only time you should interfere with a team member is when their personal statistic is down. And then you do it to rescue the position, then you retrain, and barring retraining, you replace. Retrain, rehat, replace. And that's the line it should follow. Your thoughts? You just gave me about $5 million advice, if maybe not more. This is, I couldn't have said it better. I could not have said it better. And I i am taking some time off before I had any more locations to get in the habit of what you exactly described. Because when we have a one location and we'll even two locations or three locations, we tend to put ourselves in the chain of command. We right. have to. And it's really hard for dentists to seize it and say, well, who is going to do that if I step away? I don't have people that I can trust. I don't have people that they can do it. But it's a magic if you start switching that thinking. Magic happens. Truly magic happens. And what happens is that people feel accountable. People feel engaged. People feel empowered, entrusted. They feel ownership. And they take ownership. They take ownership. Actually, what you just said, that's a Jack O'Willing podcast from earlier this morning. And truly, when somebody comes into you, even with a problem, you should be asking, what would you do? How would you fix it? And only if they don't know the answer, you can guide them to that answer. But when you get people involved and you take yourself out of chain of command, just to follow up and observe from a side, you have the strong, engaged, accountable team. And again, there is a lot of dentists that will listen to us and say, there is no way. Look at my team. Look at my team. I barely could get somebody right now. The people that I get are not quality. That brings another point. That brings another point that when we, we can't, of course, do that if we don't, go, if we don't have a strong onboarding experience and training Absolutely. People. And I just, I, I have been lucky to know that because I have been practicing strong systems of onboarding and training and mentoring my teams, but I cannot imagine my team coming to me and just kind of, if I chose them in without onboarding and training. So when we onboard and train and mentor our teams, then we exactly what you said earlier this morning, again, you train. You give them the skills and you step away and you just watch from the side and basically magic happens. So when we're talking about chain of commands, 
you as a chain of command, you as as a as a CEOs, as a business owners, our job is not micromanage people. Our job is truly mentor, train, and empower team and see the magic happens. Because when that happens and when we empower, train, and mentor our teams, now we can do all root canals, all procedures all day long. And we actually start living life without feeling that business has taken over us. And again, this is a mindset that I didn't have right away. And it took me a few years to develop this mindset. But once a dentist understands it and develops it, all of a dentist is lucky to already have that mindset. They practice grow. They're successful. They have lives. They enjoy dentistry. They don't feel burned out. So the secret really is a secret to not losing yourself to dentistry or any business is truly is empower your team engaged and be that person in the chain of command that you don't, the command is not coming from you. That's Absolutely. The, the, well, the, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, we have a lot to learn from history always. Um, <laughs> I read a meme this morning. It said, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And those who do learn from history are doomed to watch others repeat it. Yes. <laughs> so the, the truth of the matter is, is there is a reason why in medieval times, in the Middle Ages, the generals would lead from the back. And they would lead from the back because they had strong leaders who were in charge of different squads and they would have a, have a bugler and the bugler would make a clarion call and that would call the general's attention to that area. Then they would raise a pennant and that pennant was telling him what that leader is seeing on the ground right now. Then the general could take that information and they could make the big decisions on how to move units and whether to, you know, to, to charge or, 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 to, or to withdraw. And there's a good reason for that. Even though we in America, and I think this is a, a problem, we in America glorify the leader who leads from the front. But if you're leading from the front, you can't tell what's going on around you. You are too lost in your surroundings to be able to provide what it is your job is. Because you have two hats as a dentist whenever you own a practice. You have the CEO hat, and they make business decisions. And you have the dentist hat, and they make clinical decisions. And so yeah. you have two lines of authority coming into you. If we are in the fray, we can't make good decisions as a CEO. Many of us make great decisions as a dentist, but we have to remember that we also have to wear that CEO hat. You can't help many people if you go out of business. Well, not only is that, I think you have, you have seen me talking a lot about it, working on business instead of in business. And I, I said earlier, you just made me about 5 million. And what I meant by that, what I meant by that is that you reminded me how important is really to be that person as a CEO, overseeing, mentoring, engaging, and not to be in the middle of all, all the um, action. So absolutely. That, and when I said that, you know, when I start opening more locations, that's really where I maybe tend. That, that was the reason I said that you probably made me many more millions is because that will be really important to have that mindset no matter how much i grow no matter how many locations i add that i am not to interrupt people's jobs i am not to micromanage them no matter how many locations i get it's actually my job should remain to support engage 
and give people all the skills and support they need to do their jobs well. And that's how I can be successful with seven locations, all 770, all 700. And I know this is really, this is really foreign uh, to many dentists and including me just still recently, do you know, but, but it's a really important concept to understand because um, it allows us to lead without um, micromanaging and what I call lead um, influencing without authority. So, and once we understand that influencing without authority is the key to having strong, engaged teams, and ultimately it's the key to us being happy and loving what we do, because what you said, we cannot do it all. We cannot be CEOs, HR managers, dentists all day long. So we we really, um, once we understand that, and once we understand how to do it, the life becomes a lot easier, a lot more pleasant, and a much more with a much more profitable business as well. So tell me, as you reflect over your years, um, as a, as a business owner, what were some of the early mistakes that you wish you could go back and fix? And as you said, I know it's kind of tongue in cheek because all of those mistakes made you who you are because they're great learning opportunities. Every mistake is a learning opportunity. What would you go back if you could and just slap your younger self? <laughs> I know I I've got a few. Right away. I know the answer. Actually, it goes back to Joe Mao. Um, he's, uh, uh, I took his, so when I was thinking that, uh, what mistake did I make? Am I doing the right job? Am I doing a great job leading my office? Because that's leading my group, because that's a lot of pressure on my shoulders. So I wanted to have, um, I wanted to know, am I doing things correctly? Am I being as profitable as I can be? Am I doing a great job? Am I leading my group? And am I, should I be adding locations? And then I took uh, uh, Joe's class for the MBA. Uh, I think it's an MBA class, one week MBA, right. one week MBA. And I knew that I was doing everything perfectly. Like I knew, I was like, I got a reassurance that, wow, I'm actually, I know what I'm doing. I'm actually really good at this. Like I literally get the business, the leadership, the finances, the KPIs, case acceptance, you name it. But what I knew, and I, I was so mad at myself that I did not hire a mentor or, a lead, or somebody that understands the systems, the KPIs years earlier. I lost millions. I made a million dollar mistake. Because, and again, dentists, I see this all the time, dentists say, should I hire a coach? Should I hire a mentor? And my answer will be, absolutely, you should. Because you are smart. All dentists are smart. All dentists are smart. We can all watch YouTube videos and webinars and, uh, um, and go to schools. But we practice dentistry full time and we have families. We have lives. We don't have time to learn uh, the business of dentistry 40 plus hours every week. We don't have time. So business of dentistry should be handled just like learning a new dental procedure. And uh, um, if we become a business uh, owners or we, uh, whether we have a one practice or multiple practices, 
we all should take classes, MBA classes or business classes to learn it. So the biggest mistake I made, and honestly, probably the only mistake I made that was really significant is not to hire a business coach when I started. And back then, there wasn't many leaders. There wasn't um, many uh, leaders in a, a dental consulting or business consulting. So I kind of had to learn it all myself. But that was my mistake. And I didn't know about that mistake till maybe about a year ago. I thought uh, a big mistake. I'll tell you one of the things that I've always believed and, um, and please feel free to disagree with me there. There's always room for disagreement. I think that it is very valuable to hire a business consultant who is not a dental consultant. Now it doesn't mean that dental consultants don't have anything to teach you. They know a lot specifically about dentistry, but Many dental consultants, um, they kind of string you along. It's here, you know, we're, we're going to teach you how to handle this. And they keep the secret sauce to themselves. Oh, we're going to teach you how to handle this. We're going to keep the secret sauce ourselves because they want that long engagement of $35,000, $40,000 a year. Wow. A good consultant who is not trying to do that is worth their weight in gold because they teach you the systems you need. And I'm sure they answer your question, but they don't hold your hand. I think handholding is one of the worst things that can possibly happen to a business, a business person. You need to be afraid that you're going to make the wrong decision and still make a decision. And until you have that power, you're kind of handicapped. Yeah, you're kind of kneecapped. Yeah, there is a lot here to answer. A lot to unpack. There is a lot here to answer. So I'm a consultant at this point as well. Um, again, I'm very careful who I take, but I don't want to work with people for a year. Right. I don't want 35 to 45,000. I actually give seven sessions and mm -hmm. I uncomplicate the complicated. I say, this is the seven systems, all eight systems you need to know. This is very simple. There is no fluff. I'm telling you exactly what's working and why you why this is working why this is why this is going to make a million dollar practice almost immediately do you know right. that's seven systems so i don't really want to work with anybody for a year just because that's not that's not what i do well, it's not your business model your business model is to go in and actually support people and say here you got it. Here's you, the problem. thank you thank you you get it people ask me all the time and i said no 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 no. i have a line of people waiting for my support you exactly. get seven times with me that's all you need if you implement what i'm telling you you're going to be million dollar practice saying that i like always i like joe a lot because he's a dentist I do think there is something about being a dentist and understanding what it feels like doing a root canal, falling behind while root canal is failing. Absolutely. Maybe and, and a three hygienist waiting for your checks. And you have a new patient that has 500 questions and doesn't speak English. There is definitely that level. But my almost my business coach is now um, Jeff Kaufman. Um, the, mm -hmm. founder of, um, um, the founder of the founder of Priceline.com. That's who I'm learning from, and right. that's who I'm actually. So again, there is a place and time. There is many business coaches that are great in dentistry. There is also great coaches outside of dentistry. I don't think there is ever one coach that will teach you everything. And Absolutely. you know, I really love search engine optimization. So I have, I have really my coach for that is Neil Patel. That's really my coach for that. So I think it's a, I think there is place and time for every coach and every coach can teach you something. But if I chose a coach for myself, um, uh, 
it really needs to be um, short and sweet. Give me, give me, you know, numbers, give exactly, give, give it to me and I'll roll with it. I don't want, I don't, I don't even want anybody to submit me or to work with me for all for long periods of time, because it's like, I, I want to work with somebody, uh, learn from them, and I want to move on to the next coach. Absolutely. And, and my opinion may not be a popular one. I, I was always that guy. My professors either really loved me or hated my guts because my philosophy was uh, as, as, a, as a student, I was purchasing the right to learn everything that person knew. And I was going to wring them out like a wet sponge. I wanted to know everything they knew. And that's what I expected. Now, there are a lot of people who don't think that way. They're more student consumers. Um, they they want to pay for having done the class. They, they're, they're just looking to make sure that they pass the class, you know, and, and that's good enough for them. I want to master the material and I don't have time to waste. I don't want someone who's going to string me on for five years, you know, yep. and I'll tell you guys something else. There's a not a lot to know about running a practice. There's not a not to know about running a business. And, and most of it, most of it flows over from one to the other. And, and so it's like you were saying, Kathleen, you had seven key points. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give away the secret sauce. Tell mm -hmm. us what your seven key points are. What are the seven things that a dentist needs to know about running their practice and scaling it until they get to the point where they're scaling a, a bunch of group practices? I can name it for you in the middle of the night if you wake me up and I'm super sleepy and I'm in my deepest sleep and I can tell you the most important systems. Again, I may not go in, a, um, um, in a order. Number one, culture branding. You have to know how to brand your business. If everything has a brand, whether we create it or not, um, yes. everything has a brand. The same with the culture. Culture is how your brand is presented when you're not there. That's a, so culture and a branding is really important. And again, it's all becomes very important um, in the long run as well. When conflict or challenges come in, uh, culture and branding help you to deal with those uh, conflicts and challenges. Number two, scheduling. Just like what you said earlier today, um, again, scheduling and people that make our schedules, they have to know how to make a profitable schedule. I actually uh, anti-models of two, three columns. I am actually yes. pro model a one column, um, a very high quality dentistry and a quality over quantity with a high production, high collections. So it brings me to another point, collect collections and uh, I would completely eliminate a billing system because billing system is um, something that we should have done maybe 30 years ago, but that's um, not a system we need to do that anymore. So billing um, and high collections, that's system number three. Number four, preventing no-shows and the last minute cancellations. I always teach my team, if, can, you, can you cancel on your hairdresser? And they say, no, you can't. And I said, why are people canceling on doctors? Mm -hmm. our, our time needs to be valuable. But again, it's need to be taught to the um, team how to have the conference, how to have the conference to prevent no-shows or cancellations in a very polite, kind manner. That brings to another point, case acceptance as a team, high case acceptance is the key to building the practice of your dream without feeling burned out and being super profitable. So case acceptance as a team because you know it and I know it, case acceptance depends 
50% would depend on a clinical, 50% would depend on a, uh, financials, and then um, uh, finally understanding uh, procedures, internal marketing and external marketing as well. And then measuring success, KPIs and understanding stats and how we measure success and how we lead the team to understand those KPIs, motivate them, engage them in success. So um, again, culture and team working with team. Um, when, when I talk about the systems and I listed all the systems, uh, leading the team and teaching the team is an important part of every system because every system has to have team involved and understanding wise, understanding um, uh, benefits, goals, um, KPIs, systems. So um, again, it all goes back to mentoring, training your, uh, training your team. And uh, once your team understands it and trained, um, you can really implement all of those systems and then um, um, revisit those systems and revisit the training um, continually. Because even seasoned people forget, even our best people start getting into bad habits once in a while, or they become very comfortable. So I feel like it's like, um, it's constant mentoring. It's constant uh, cheerleading. That, that right there, guys, is million dollar advice. Revisiting your systems at a regular time every single year. And one of those systems I'm going to talk about whenever you're fun, whenever you're finished, I'm going to add one I'm thing. Gonna, I, I said it. it. I said it. I, I basically listed all the systems for you and you can agree that you manage, system, you manage with systems and you understand how to train your team. You're a million dollar practice right away. Absolutely. Two million, three million. You can start just, you can just, maximizing and leveraging what you have and here you're just successful um without even needing to be in every aspect of your practice so you you, you know that that's the core systems that we need to know and it doesn't take a year that should take two months stop to work with a dentist to uh, um, to understand and retain the information that they're given so two months is a good time to work with a dentist so they can actually learn the systems um, implement it, revisit it, and kind of, it just retains information. But I, it would be unfair to tell a dentist, hey, I'm going to work with you for two years to master what right. systems. That would be a waste of money, time, and energy for everybody. You know? I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I think I think that um, there's a lot of obfuscation that goes along with these consultants. And I hope you understand now better what I was saying whenever I said that earlier. Uh, so the last thing I am going to urge every dentist out there who is listening to this podcast, and God, by the way, guys, if, if you have questions, go ahead and drop them down below. And Catherine is in the business of dentistry. She can answer your questions directly. Just tag her. But the last thing I'm going to tell you guys to do, and I, I'm going to beg you all to do this for yourselves, is to create something called an ideal scene. What you do is you think, where you want to be in five years time, you write out your perfect day personally and your perfect day as a dentist and your perfect day as a business owner. Then what you do is you create a plan on a separate piece of paper about what steps you have to do to get to those goals. You seal those goals up in an envelope and you tape it to the bottom of a filing cabinet or bottom of a desk and you open it every year on the same day. If your goals have changed, you update that ideal scene because 
if you're going across the Atlantic in a sailboat, being one degree off means you're going to be thousands of miles off at the end of your destination. Constant course corrections are the key to success. If you do that, and if you follow your plan, and if you get good coaching to make sure that your plan is a good plan, you will be successful. There is no doubt. 100%. 100%. Like, that's just the key to it. And I like how you said checking often because you actually want to see that's, I completely 100% agree. I would actually put it right in front of me where I see it every day because when, then it becomes subconscious call to action. You create a call to action to do that. And it's amazing that you will look even a few months later how much closer you are to it at all times. And that's how you will stay on point that's how you will stay on a track despite the challenges, despite the pandemic, despite to what's happening around us, because you will have that subconscious call to act. So your decisions, your um, all the decisions that we'll make will kind of will guide guide towards that um, toward those goals. And uh, my call to action was being back at a homeless shelter and telling myself that I will succeed no matter what. I will become successful no matter what. And even now, when I have that um, difficult situation or difficult months or difficult um, challenge, um, I tell myself, uh-uh, no, I got it. I got it. This is, it's fine. It's fine to be upset. It's fine to be frustrated. It's fine to be maybe even crying. It's fine. I'm a human. I'm, I'm allowed to have all these feelings, but hey, my goal and my call to action is to succeed no matter what. So, right. You're completely right. I love it. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Deer Doc podcast. I hope that you've taken some value from this. Um, Catherine, спасибо. Thank you thank for you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and talking to me and really giving me a chance to talk to others and share my story. Well, guys, um, you've spent another hour listening to the sound of my voice. I hope you didn't have anything better to do. Have a fantastic day. This is Doc signing out. Hey, folks, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure I thank United Medical Credit for sponsoring this podcast and also the business of dentistry. Go check out their website at www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD to get a special deal. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.